Howdy, and welcome to Weekend at Crombies 2, The Legend of Crombies Gold, Season 3, The Best of the West, Episode 6, A Fistful of Dollars. Welcome, dear listener, to Weekend of Crombies 3, The Legend of Crombies Gold. I'm Hugh, and I don't think it's nice, you laughing. You see, my mule doesn't like people laughing. He gets the crazy idea, you're laughing at him. <laughs> and my name is Dr. James Esquire. Our orders are to make sure he does not die, but also to make sure he regrets the day he was born. I was I was toying with the mule quote as well. That's quite a good start to the film, isn't it? Oh yes, I thought you, you had to get in there first. Um, but yeah, quick off the door, you see. Uh, yeah, um, very good. Oh. <laughs> for yes, uh, we are. This is very interesting. We're halfway through our our um, roller coaster ride through the westerns, and in fact, we've gone so far west, we've circled the globe and come back <laughs> to southern Europe because we're doing what you know. What if you if you were to similar to draw you an arc of a of a film genre. Would you say that, you know, during the, I don't know, what is it called, the, uh, the, the post phase of it, all of a sudden it would take a sharp left turn, relocate into a yeah. different part of the world and <laughs> form its own subgenre within that? I know, it's bizarre, isn't it? So if, if that wasn't clear, we're doing spaghetti westerns. We are doing spaghetti yeah. westerns. I mean, and you know, we have a little bit of history of doing spaghetti westerns oh, on Weekend yes. Cobbles, don't we? Because Il Gran Silenzio oh, was, yes. um, was, a, was, a, was a good one. It was a good one. I mean, I, I, I can't say that without seeing a chicken being there. <laughs> well, let's not chicken. go down that road again. I've, got, I've opened the door, haven't I? Oh, no. <laughs> for the listeners, for the next 20 minutes, you might want to turn the volume down because there'll be chicken talk. <laughs> if, if anyone wants to go over Il Gran Silencio, it is a fantastic <laughs> spaghetti western. Um, With a fantastic time. chicken eating scene. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Uh, You've but, just got to hope it's one take. <laughs> You know that wasn't one take. I know, I know. The guy must have starved himself for days just to get through that. Okay, we're gonna go again. No. <laughs> Can I at least have some chips with it? <laughs> yeah, or something. It's too dry. It wasn't dry. That chicken was no. so greasy. It was. Oh, I looked amazing to be honest. It did, it did. I think. I think we're straying from the point a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> because we're not doing El Gran Silencio, you, you veered us off no. course there. We are doing yeah. what is essentially, it's, it's the spaghetti western that started them all, isn't it? It's not, it's not the... Uh, it is. It's not, well, it's it's not, not the, the very first, but it's the one that really brought the genre to the, atten- yeah. the global yeah. kind of um, attention, really. And in many ways, we will end this, this review talking about what is undoubtedly the greatest spaghetti western of them all. Um, because we oh, should, yeah. ex- we should yeah. explain some strong words were spoken at the end of last podcast, <laughs> where we were just saying, we're going to watch all three of the Dollars Trilogy. And yeah. uh, in between those times, uh, reality has bitten quite hard. And uh, <laughs> yeah, a yeah. few things happened. A few things was I didn't get a chance to watch them all. But James did. Uh, the trooper that I is. did. Despite, dis- despite one parent dying. <laughs> so come on no excuses <laughs> i know my, my my excuse was i was a bit tired it's really cool a bit lame here. but the real reason why i decided to knock on the head was after watching the first one i thought i could talk about this for at least you know 90 minutes if we tack on two more even longer films i, uh, I think oh. even our long-suffering listeners might yeah. find their patience has been tested too much 
Well, given the first 10 minutes of this podcast, we're going quite well already, given that we haven't started it. Yeah, and also, you know, Good, Bad and the Ugly is three hours long. So, I know. Um, yeah. Mm. But, uh, and, but yeah, so let's, let's begin then. So we begin uh, in, uh, with, again, Clint Eastwood. It's Mexico, isn't it? It's, it's boy, we, we've slightly tweaked our rules. So again, uh, <laughs> oh, the, with, the Magnificent Seven was too. I know. Well, do you know what? I'm, I'm coming to the conclusion that the Western is as much about Mexico as it yeah. is about as about the American West. Well, I'm coming to the conclusion that the, the Western doesn't actually exist. <laughs> really? Yeah. What, what we think the Western is doesn't exist. Oh, I see. Because we've, we've yet to find it. Yeah, yeah, we've yet to find the quintessential Western, I think. Oh, that's true. That's, that's very profound. And we're only 10 minutes <laughs> in. Um, but see, we're on, we're on the border town of Mexico, mm-hmm. America. San, San Miguel. San Miguel. Um, <laughs> and, and we see, again, trying to put his mule, a man known simply as the stranger, yeah. who's uh, Clint Eastwood. I mean, it's not his very first one. He had, again, he had, he had some form in... He's in Rawhide, wasn't he? in Rawhide, Rowdy this is, his, this is his first major, well, his first starring role. Yeah, anyway, as as yeah. A, just a a silent grimacing killer. Um, yeah, uh, and and he he trots into town. I do actually do remember as soon as he's trotting into town, you know, he's, he's drinking some water. A little scamp is is running across yeah. a little boy. He's running across the streets, um, and it's like, oh, what a cheeky little boy! And he climbs into a window. Oh, this is quite sweet. And next scene, he's being booted out quite brutally. I think, yeah. oh, that's slightly less sweet now. <laughs> this poor boy is sobbing and crying for his mother as these these banditos yeah. kick this... him across the town. I would say there's quite a lot of nihilism in this film. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 considered we've come from The Magnificent Seven, which, yeah, yeah, true, though, yeah. though, it, though it has its moments, is basically a fun romp. This yeah. this starts off already thinking, oh, that, that's a bit off. Um, yeah. And again, The Stranger um, comes in. I think he's he's a couple of the, the local hoods. We don't know who they are yet, but, you know, rough him up a little bit. Mm. Um, and uh, I think it's The, the Stranger, in, in having a meal in the local town, the, uh, the innkeeper's name is Silvan, Silvanitio. Um, very good <laughs> Gracias. Uh, as he as he's, he's chowing on his plate of beans he, he gets the lie of the land essentially this is a border town that's doing a good business of smuggling you are either yeah. um it's either the baxter boys who are smuggling is it guns or yeah. um and the rojo brothers who are smuggling whiskey and booze um, and, and baxter is the mayor as well isn't he? he's the mayor yeah. of the town yeah and it's it's it is Again, it's it's very border town. Again, Baxter, they're all you know they're Westernized, they're they're anglicized. Um, they're they're the ones who are in political control. The Rojos can have <laughs> they're, gang- they're gangsters, aren't they? And they got the numbers. Yeah, they're they're they proper bandits. The yeah. Yeah. yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, and they have the numbers very quickly because the stranger, uh, having sized up that yeah there were two rival gangs in this town, so you know a man who's handy with a gun could make a lot of money here, and he's literally there to to milk the town for what it's worth. Um, just walks up to four of the Baxter boys who roughed him up beforehand and guns them down. <laughs> after after walking past, uh, yeah. <laughs> he just goes he goes to the other coffin maker, make three coffins, and he goes up, says something about making fun of his mule, and then pow 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 pow, make it four. Yeah, he gets time making for. Uh, and so that's that. So um, immediately then he's seen as a you know a person of of worth. So the Rojos, um, or rather, there's three Rojo brothers. We should say there's a yeah. is it Ramon is Ramon is played by no, Gian Maria Volante. Oh, so no, we'll come back because Ramon oh, okay. is there. Yeah, Ramon he, he is, turns up in a bit, doesn't he? He's the primo Rojo. So Don yeah, Miguel. <laughs> Don Miguel is ostensibly the eldest and the head of the family, the brothers. Yeah. Um, so he's he's again kind of the the, the the paternal figure. Esteban Rojo is the idiot brother. Yeah, um, I was going to say, yeah, he's the idiot. There's always one yeah, in there. Yeah, and Ramon is not yet to be seen, but but just when they're talking about him, you know Ramon's the real deal. Um, yeah, you do. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, well, also, so, also, you know, if if you know anything about Italian cinema, Gian Maria Volante, as okay. soon as he walks on screen, he is the real deal. Oh yeah, yeah, he's yeah, he's a fantastic actor. Yeah. 
so the stranger is immediately hired by uh, uh, Don Miguel because you know, we've seen he's killed for the Baxters already. So he's uh, he's, uh, he's handy. handy he's handy. Yeah, and you want him on your side rather than have the Baxters hire him. Um, of course, uh, Esteban is hopping around the place saying, I can have a gun, I could kill him, let's kill him now. It's like, <laughs> Don Miguel's like, shut up. Very, very much channeling his inner horse buckles. <laughs> <laughs> we can say no more about horse buckles. Some of our audience did not appreciate that kind of talk. Fine actor though he is. Indeed. Um, um, so, yeah, so the stranger uh, is now, you know, part of the gangs, and um, but he's he's using that to sniff out WhatsApp. So he kind of like sneaks along and finds out what the Rojos are doing. And in fact, uh, what they are doing is double crossing some Mexican soldiers. So these are uh, Mexican gold. soldiers. Yeah, they, they they were coming across the river with a chest of gold to buy some guns. Um, and instead, uh, again, led, led by uh, Ramon Rojo on the on the old uh, Gatling gun. Were they going to buy some guns off the Baxters? Yes. Is that, um, that's what it is, isn't it? The, the Baxters, the gun runners, yeah. That's right. Um, but the Rojos intercept them. Mm. Um, or at least they pretend to them. Maybe the Rojos are the... the uh, the gun dealers. <laughs> Don't ask me. I saw this about five weeks ago. <laughs> it would make more sense they were buying guns off the Rojos if the Rojos were the dealers in guns. Yeah, way. yeah, but but that might not be the film. <laughs> it might make more sense. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, in in fine, again, it's sort of um, there is a certain type of western when as soon as the Gatling gun comes out, you know oh, yeah. you've reached a certain point yeah. and everyone's going to yeah. die. And sure enough, Ramon Rojo da, 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 cranks the old handle and he kills every single Mexican soldier there um, because they're basically double crossing and getting the gold, so they've they've yeah, got absolutely. gold. Um, however, well, imme- immediately, immediately, that kind of first—it's well, not quite the first scene. It's not quite the first killing, but that it ratchets up anything we've seen thus far in the western doesn't it yeah yeah it's a good point because previously you know we've had the occasional shootouts i mean even i suppose in the matrix we've had you know that scene with um james not james garner who's a um gary knife guy cooper oh no, okay uh, oh no james coburn james coburn he, yeah, yeah. he he throws a knife and kills someone and that's about mm. as deadly as it got and yeah. it's one killing we've already got four people dead off the cuff <laughs> yeah. one of which might have just been a bystander because he was only <laughs> going for three of them yeah. Yeah, um, and here the standoffs and and, and uh, the shootings they go on and on and on. Whereas in the films we've seen, they they they, they last seconds. Yeah, yeah, the standoffs go on and the shootings are more yeah. and bloodier. Um, yeah. So yeah, and again now this is probably our first our first machine gun. This is the first time when a lot yeah. of people have died. Yeah, absolutely. Again, and the machine gun comes in a lot more to later westerns. Um, it does, again, but we, it's, uh, there's a lot of the machine gun in the good, the bad, and the ugly as well. Because the the ugly, but then yeah. you can come on to, again. You're looking at the wild bunch, the oh, yeah, that, yeah, whales, of course, of guns, course yes, the, the Gatling yeah. gun. Yeah, it seems to again, apart from the fact it can cause a lot of carnage, it does seem to put a kind of a pin in saying this is not a romantic it's, western. It's the transition, like, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. This is yeah. this is the machine is now taking yeah. over. Um, yeah. But yeah, as as it has. So um, I mean, if it's the stranger, uh, he's again uh, kudos to him. He he immediately sees the opportunity with a bunch of slaughtered Mexican soldiers <laughs> because him and uh, Silvanito grab a couple of them and drag them back to the graveyard and it was like you're gonna bury them what are you gonna do so he props them up against the gravestones and kind of you know arranges them artfully and then he goes back to the rojos and sells them the information i think two of the mexicans have got away yeah, and then right. he goes over to the baxters and sells them the information that you know there's two mexican soldiers and they've got information that can finish the rojos so everybody immediately thinks oh there's stuff in the grave we've got to get these two mexican soldiers so all the baxters and all the rojos immediately troop out and start staking out you know these two dead men in the graveyard um they're like they're not moving three warning mm. shots and all this kind of stuff <laughs> um, <laughs> Like, <laughs> I've killed one. <laughs> like, um, but then, um, like I say, so they, they see each other too. So the Baxters and the Royals start shooting at each other. And again, we, we can see, um, I think, you know, uh, 
we we see that Ramon is you know he's quite a handy man in a gunfight. Who's the um who's the younger Baxter? The and Antonio Baxter is uh, fairly useless. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but while all this is going on, the stranger has has snuck into the Rojo's um, cellars because he thinks that's where the gold is. I think did he um <laughs> he was being real sneaky, uh, but he also managed. Did he shoot uh, like a, a hanging sign to knock out one of the guards? I can't remember. It's like there's a like yeah, there's a, an right, awning yeah. above yeah. a guard, yeah, and yeah, he shoots the rope which swings down which clonks the guard yeah, again. Yeah. That was really subtle until the part when you just shot the thing. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I suppose you can't just club him. He's a, he's a, he's a gunslinger. So he, he yeah, exactly. sneaks into the, the cellars and has a big poke around for the money. He can't find the money, but um, this is kind of where his, his plan goes slightly awry because uh, as he's searching, uh, a woman comes down to kind of uh, fetch the... Uh, Consuelo. Con, is it Consuelo? Yes. Consuelo Baxter. No, 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 no. That, uh, that's oh, sorry. Ma- Marisol. Oh, yes, Marisol. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, sorry. Con- yes, Consuelo Marisol, Baxter, as, as her yes. name implies, is the matriarch yeah. of the Baxters. Yes. And in fact, she, she, yeah, she was the one he sold the information to, and yeah. she is clearly seen as the smartest of all the Baxters. She's yeah. the one that's actually... Yeah, she's so Marisol. Running, she's running it. Yeah. So Marisol um, is, the, uh, mm. is, the, is the woman. And we get the backstory from her in snippets, but essentially she is the mother of the, the, the small boy who was running around. Um, because uh, she's you know, a happily married woman with her husband and her son, but uh, the Rojos took a shine to her. So they basically yeah. framed her, her husband for cheating at cards, took um, Marisol as payment, and now she's been the living slave inside their, their um, hacienda. So, Which is um, opposite where, she, where the husband and son live. Yeah, their husband was somewhere told to leave town, but they they see they see her every day, and like the poor yeah, son is pining, really which is which is why the son keeps trying to see her. All he wants is him. It's very heartbreaking, actually, and also it is, yeah. it's it's a lot darker than we see in other westerns. It's like it's not, oh, these yeah. aren't just cowed villagers. This is someone who's you know permanently estranged from her family, and you know, having knocked out Marisol, um, he arranges he had, does hand her over to the Baxters, um, but in this graveyard shootout, both sides have now realised there's a couple of dead men, so the Mexicans are no threat. But um, Antonio Baxter has been taken prisoner. So now we've yeah. got a prisoner exchange thing going on. So in exchange for getting Marisol back, Antonio Baxter will be freed. So there's a big again, standoff in the, in the high streets as, as Marisol is walking towards the Rojos and Antonio is walking towards the Baxters. And you kind of think it's going to kick off because it's very, very tense. Mm. Um, I think especially as uh, little Jesus runs towards his, his mother, he's like, <laughs> please don't leave, please don't leave. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at which point kind of, we should mention, actually, despite the fact that these two crime families, there's a smattering of regular villagers. Because Silvanito, yeah, as well, there is. Silvanito is, is kind of the, the one we get to know about. But there's like the the, the grave diggers and the coffin makers. Why the hell would you live there? <laughs> well, I think the, the coffin maker does good business. There. Oh, that's true, actually. But actually, yeah, Silvanito has said that there is there is nothing in this village. It's been bled dry by the two crime mm. families. He actually tries to persuade the stranger to leave as soon as he arrives, yeah, saying, he does, doesn't he? Yeah. I'll, I'll pay for your meal. Because the stranger goes, I've got no money. I've got no money. Goes, I'll pay for your yeah. meal. Just get out um, because yeah. this town's dead. This town is dying. Um, but the, the sudden reunion of Marisol, her, her husband and her son, um, of which you know the, the rogues are saying, you know, get out. We will kill you. Um, he's interrupted because Silvanito jumps up with a shotgun, backed up by the stranger, who's basically yeah. saying she's going free. So uh, that's pretty much it. The... Uh, I think they um they managed to stop her husband getting killed, but Marisol does end up going back with the the the, the Rojos, uh, so bloodshed is averted. But um, yeah, the uh, no Marisol, one's happy. No one's happy. Marisol <laughs> is back with the Rojos, yeah. um, and everyone's kind of fuming quietly. And now we get the point when uh, uh, that night the stranger um 
he kind of m makes what is probably his first not calculated move because mm. actually he's, he's going out of I guess a desire to do good rather than to, to fleece everybody because he he bursts in on where the Rojos are, are keeping um, Marisol, yeah. guns down the Rojos yeah. and frees Marisol. Then he gives her to her husband, sends That's one right. away with some money, yeah. get out of town. So she's and her family are safe and good. He yeah. does try they to do, frame it they, on the, on well, the they do Before they go, though, they do kind of hang around for a bit. There's a, there's a scene where they're just standing watching the, the man with no name. Yeah. And you think, go. You, can, you, can, you want foot. You know, you're not going to get far anyway. <laughs> yeah. There, what, there was, what are you hanging around for? There was a lot of meaningful standing and staring. Yeah, there, yeah, there was. A, yeah. What is this, a 90 minute film? Um, yeah. But so yeah, he does the he does try to frame it on the Baxters, um, getting down these royal guards. And they do believe it at, but they also believe that the stranger's in on it as well. So they yeah, beat they him do. up. Yeah. So he he doesn't his blood covers now blown, so he gets beaten up thoroughly. Um, but it's far worse for the Baxters because they what is a truly disturbing <laughs> it's horrific, scene, isn't it? Yeah, for, for the for the West again, similar, yeah. very reminiscent of Little Grand Silencio. Yes, um, absolutely. The entire Baxter house is burned Burnt. down. Yeah, then the Baxters they're they're shot, and then when they come out surrendering, they're gunned down one at a time. Yeah. Uh, Consuelo, Consuelo's left at the end, isn't she? She's or, the final yeah. one, kind of yeah, comes out. Yeah. You know, what have you done to my family? And then Esteban screaming, yeah, and she's oh, yeah, yeah. The shooter. <laughs> yeah, so That's it's brilliant. <laughs> I tell you, you wouldn't get that in stagecoach, would you? <laughs> so no, so the uh, yeah, the, the town's feud has ended quite bloodily. Yeah, uh, uh, but and the stranger manages to get away by again. He slips into a coffin and, and is drawn yeah, out with, with um, Pilipello, the coffin maker. Is the it, coffin. It's got a touch of the weekend at Bernie's about it. <laughs> I think, <laughs> hasn't it? <laughs> oh dear. I also like the fact that um, he's in the coffin watching the Baxter's house burn down. And he's lifted the lid on the coffin so that he can watch what's going on. Yeah. I mean, if I was a, a Rojo, I'd be thinking, what's that coffin moving for? <laughs> I'd have a look. It's not very discreet. No, it isn't. Um, but he's, he's, he's in a bad way, too. Like, you know, his, his, his oh, he is, hand he's, has been smashed yeah. up and all this kind of stuff. So he's, yeah. he's, out, he's out in the, in the wilderness, slowly convalescing. Um, but in the meantime, his his friend, the innkeeper Silvanito, has been captured, and he's being tortured about where the, where the stranger is. Um, so he's got to go back. And yeah. in what I thought was more foreshadowing than I'd have expected from my memory of the film, we see him saw off a chest sized piece of metal, um, <laughs> and I think, oh, what can we want with that? Um, yeah, <laughs> I wonder. But uh, coming up to the final confrontation, which again is, is something of a classic, he kind of you know he comes in. Um, and and uh, Ramon has already boasted that he's a fantastic shot with a Winchester rifle, yeah, and has said, true. you know, when a, when a man with a Winchester meets a man with a pistol, the the man with the pistol is dead. Yeah. Um, so sure enough, Ramon whips up his Winchester and shoots the stranger, um, who falls down, but then gets yep. back up again. Gets what back, and he happen? does it again, doesn't he? Does it again? Does it again? And and all the time, um, the stranger, because he's quite a distance from here, he's yeah. walking ever closer, and he is saying yeah. things like, "You got, if you want to kill me, you got to aim for the heart. If you want to kill me, you yeah. got to aim for the heart. I um, aim for the head." Well, yeah, so if, I, if I was Ramon, I'd have tried a cheeky kneecap at some point. Because <laughs> yeah. sure enough, by the time the stranger gets close enough to get within pistol range, he, he flings open his poncho and throws down his, uh, his, yeah. his the body armour of who he put in. In which case, the holes a, in it. a perfect grouping around the heart. Well done, Ramon. That was, uh, that was, uh, that was uh, good shooting, if you know, a bit unimaginative. Um, I would think, actually, if he were shot with a rifle and you know, it may have stopped it, I think internal bleeding is kicking in at some point. Yeah, it would have gone through. Uh, it would have it would have breached 
I don't know. I don't think we're a breach, but the, the, the sheer pressure of uh, yeah, hit by yeah. that. But yeah. never mind. <laughs> we assume he outfought him because he did. Because what he wanted to do was get close enough to be within pistol range. Yeah. So all that all that body armor was just to taunt Ramon into into also emptying his rifle because now um, the stranger whips out his rifle, kills all the other um, yeah Rojos, including Don Miguel, um, and of course, but of course, just managed to shoot Ramon's you know hand to get the winch out of his hand. Yeah. He disarms him perfectly, and then. Um, challenges him to a kind of a duel because his pistol's empty now he throws it on the ground and it's like who's going to reload quickest yeah so that's so it's it's it starts off as your t- traditional gunfight standoff albeit against five men rather than one against mm. one um but then it turns into a very exciting kind of like who's going to reload and get off the quickest yeah it's good yeah um, and the stranger of course reloads the fastest even gets in a cheeky spin of his of his <laughs> revolver <does. cast. laughs> he's thinking when you're loading one bullet you better really know where that bullet's ending up <laughs> um but yes, yeah. he, he kills Rojo again. Um, um, and Ramon has, you know, a fantastic dying scene. He's like, oh, he's leaning back against the well. You yeah. see, you see his really eyes evocative, isn't it? Yeah. And again, once again, when you consider in the Western, it's normally um, someone will, they'll die, they'll clutch their chest and they're down. Yeah. Um, and then fall over. Yeah. Ramon, Ramon, you know, gave it some sugar. Uh, he did. So. <laughs> it's uh, not over though, is it? Because Esteban, the Esteban, idiot. Esteban, the idiot, he's, he's there going to backshoot him. But of course, the Benito, you know, who's free yeah, now, shoots him. That's yeah. it. So the town cleaned up, albeit, you know, the population halved. <laughs> uh, the the man with no name uh, rides from town. There we go. That's the film, isn't it? That's the film. There we go. Well, that's the end of the film, but it's the start of a whole new Western trope and genre, isn't it? So indeed. So uh, we should probably take a break here because yes. I think there's a lot to jump in. We'll do the spaghetti rest and we'll talk about the uh, the spiritual successors to this film. Oh, very good. Uh, welcome back uh, to our uh, winding path through the spaghetti westerns. <laughs> uh, let us fling back the poncho and drop mm-hmm. the uh, the steel plate onto the ground as we pick apart the details of this. Um, I mean, it, it, it's 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 fascinating to have a genre within a genre, um, which is very much what it is. And yeah, I, I guess it's almost like where do you begin with this? Really, I'm, I'm going to begin with the obvious: is oh. that. Um, the landscape is absolutely picturesque Southern Europe. I mean, it, it's oh, just it is, the, it? yeah. the hills. Yeah. It's Southern Italy, isn't it? It's wonderful. Yeah. Low stone hills, these green, green, like they're fairly low hills, and they they, they undulate and go on forever and all this kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, they do, don't they? But it it's, is it, not, it's not Monument it's not, Valley. It's not Monument Valley. John Ford has never filmed a scene <laughs> where Clint Eastwood is. And that, right? is, and that to me is so bizarre. Even, I mean, the buildings, I guess because of the, the kind of the Spanish-Mexican style, you yeah, could almost yeah. get away with it. Yes, you but, could. But it's, I mean, but I remember looking at it, looking at it now, after again, we've been so saturated in the, the classical Western. Yeah. It's obvious. But I saw these movies, you know, when I was young. And to me, that was just, that's just a type of Western. It's, it's the Western it's, that has the, the, the European types, buildings yeah. and the low yeah. hills. It's right, isn't it? Yeah. But then I suppose the, the, the argument with that is that why does the Western have to be American? And clearly it doesn't, does it? No, no, not remotely. <laughs> yeah, not, not remotely. And it's it's still it's still a Western, isn't it? This is still quintessentially well, I don't know that it is quintessentially a Western, but it's still a Western. But you're right, it doesn't it, it just looks in, it looks congruous, doesn't it? It looks odd. Um but it I think it oddly fits in with the rest of the style of the film, doesn't it? Everything is Absolutely. slightly off kilter, yeah, slightly yeah. odd, slightly weird. Does it say nothing of the dubbing of it? Well, yeah, I know. And I mean, you know, you look at you look at the um 
so I mean, it was a it was a tro- not a trope, but it was a technique of Italian filmmaking that they would film in silent. They would film. Yeah. They would make silent films and then overdub it at the end. Yeah, actually, it's so yeah. bizarre. Yeah, before we get into again to yeah. the, the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. could do you know any background of again how the, how on earth this came about? Why they suddenly decided? Is it because it was cheaper to film in Italy and Spain, and that's where they were doing the westerns? Because the westerns were on the the slump, and they you couldn't get the big budgets to make the yeah. searches like you could. No, so this i mean the weird thing is is that a fistful of because i didn't know much about the background of a fistful of dollars uh, yeah. i only only knew its place in 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 the cinematic canon as it were and this film has literally nothing to do with hollywood at okay. all nothing it is uh, th- there isn't even really before this much of a spaghetti western tradition or an italian western tradition as it might have been called at the time yeah. wouldn't have been called a spaghetti western an italian um, western this film is effectively a rip-off of akira kurosawa's yojimbo okay which was released in 1961 and is a samurai film about a a, a lone samurai who wanders into a rural village in you know 17th century japan and plays off to feuding um, crime families um, and it is effectively exactly the same film <laughs> it is exactly the same film but it it was intended to be a cheap knockoff for the Italian market um, and in effect it was almost completely by not fluke but it was a random process where they hired Clint Eastwood um not because he wasn't he wasn't famous in any way shape or form I mean he'd been in Rawhide I guess but he was a he was a relative unknown completely unknown outside of the US but he wasn't getting film offers yeah and he wanted to he wanted to make a film and so this was the offer that he had and he okay. took it and he and he took it so it was one of those he was a jobbing actor and just thought I might as well you know it's they paid him $15,000 for yeah. the role um they thought that's he thought that's good money I'm going to take that and make this Italian Western. It was never released in the US really? until after for a few dollars more and the good, the bad and the ugly were released. Really? It was only, yes, yes, absolutely. It wasn't released in the US. It was made in 19. Um, it was, re- it was released in Italy in 1964 and it wasn't released in the US until 1967, but really it was released really, it, it didn't do anything. And, oh, wow. and but yeah, it was only properly released when the three of them were released as a trilogy in sequence. Oh my goodness. So so you know we, we look back on the history of the Spaghetti Western and, and the Dollars trilogy as these films exploded into the Hollywood system by this um you know manic genius um Sergio Leone um with you know a ready-made hollywood star in clint eastwood but it was nothing like that whatsoever this was this was a low budget cheap knockoff of the <laughs> japanese film yojimbo this was made for 200 grand wow yeah this is I, I can i can believe that much yeah uh, yeah because it, lo- yeah. it looks small scale it looks cheap doesn't it it doesn't yeah. it doesn't look like what you think it doesn't look like the other films in the trilogy certainly it's a very yeah. very small film and um what I find what I find really interesting with this is that the only reason the other films got made was because this was hugely successful in Italy. Okay. <laughs> it was, so for a few dollars more was made because this was really successful. It wasn't made for the American market. And I think it shows because the I think no one in Hollywood would have touched this film. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
it just doesn't make sense in the context of what the Western was. No, but we, in Italy, yeah. it could have been made however they wanted it to make, be made. It was t- they were totally ignorant to the Western tropes. So let's let's put a pin on this for a second because I'm yeah. very interested now in Kurosawa's influence in the Western. Exactly. Well, like, two big westerns, Seven yeah. Samurai and Yojimbo. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, are these Japanese films remotely culturally aware of the western? Is that why they have the lone hero, or is this lone hero unique again to, to Japan Japanese story? Yeah, well, I think there are. It? I think that there are similarities in the textures of the western and the samurai film. Yeah. Um, and because I think some of the, the sentiments, the tropes, the environment of those two genres lend themselves to kind of cross pollination, Cer- certainly in the 50s and 60s, I think. Um, I mean, A Fistful of Dollars is so much so a knockoff of Yojimbo that um, um, Toho, the Japanese company that made Yojimbo, successfully sued Um, Sergio Leone and the filmmakers of this for copyright breach, you know, for basically sued them for like stealing the ideas and knocking them out and everything like that. They, you know, they had to pay a hundred grand. Half the budget. (laughs) Half the budget. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's one of the reasons why they didn't release it in the U S was because they thought that the Japanese market would get, get wind of it. (laughs) So they just didn't release it. They only released it in Italy when nobody watched, you know, nobody from outside Italy watched films. It's not quite true, but you know, that's how they did it. You probably wouldn't get the Japanese film board staking out Italy. Maybe you wouldn't. I don't know. So, so there are similarities. So the samurai and the, the gunslinger, you know, or or, or like the samurai for hire and the gunslinger for hire are very interesting archetypes in Japanese culture. There's and, lone, lone figures who yeah. have mastery over violence and yeah, have a sense of violence, honor yeah. or code. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that's it. And so it, it's not a huge leap to transpose um, Seven Samurai, for example, yeah. um, to, you know, um, the, the Western. And it's not a massive leap for Yojimbo either. I mean, what's interesting about Yojimbo is the sequel to that, um, which is Sanjuro, also follows this man with no name idea. Oh, nice. um, you know, so um, Tish, um, Mifune, uh, Toshiro Mifune plays the man with no name or the samurai with no name, I guess, really, in both Yojimbo and Sanjiro. But Sanjiro is made after for a few dollars more. So, <laughs> right. But they're, I mean, they're not the same. They're different yeah. films in that context as well. Um, but, you know, it's an, it's an interesting point where there's a huge crossover. I mean, you could say Japanese cinema. You could say Akira Kurosawa, right? Because they're both his films. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they, they, it has had a real impact in, 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 in the Western genre. Now, what, what the Italian version of Yojimbo does is that it ratchets up the violence I was and it ratchets ask, yeah. up the intensity and the nihilism, which you don't get so much in the Japanese films. It's much more, at, it's not, I'm not going to say atmospheric because this is a very atmospheric film, but it's, yeah. it's much more um, off screen in your mind, whereas here it's all front and centre, which is quite different and that's yeah. i think that's a trope in a lot of italian cinema so yeah, you will yeah. notice that you have the spaghetti western which is the subgenre of the western you also get the giallo horror which is a subgenre of the horror film which is effectively the italian sensibility put on the the american horror film so um good example of that would be suspiria the argento film um and they are almost extreme versions full of color full of style full of ultra violence of of the horror films from the 50s, 60s, and 70s as well. So it almost, I, I don't mean this negatively, but the Italian filmmakers of the time, Sergio Leone included, even though he was a genius, were almost ignorant 
of these Western tropes that you would have in Hollywood and made films that were lurid, ultra stylish, that were knocked out quickly to make a buck. Yeah. And it just so happens that the director of this was one of the greatest directors of all time. <laughs> and that, that's just how it's, I mean, Sergio Corbucci, who made Il Gran Silenzio, yeah. was was going to make for a few dollars more, but handed it over to Leone because he thought, well, you'd be better at this. <laughs> right. So they're all interlinked with each other. And you look at you, you look at the transition from you look at the transition from a fistful of dollars to a few for a few dollars more to the good, the bad and the ugly. And the budgets increase, the sense yeah. of scale and the epic nature of them increase. Absolutely. The, the intensity of them increase. And there's much more about them. And then you almost you let fly from the good, the bad and the ugly to a plethora of spaghetti westerns, some very good, like Once Upon a Time in the West, also a Leone film. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, The Great Silence, the Corbucci film. Some not very good at all. You know, I don't think Hang 'em High is a particularly good film, but there's loads of knockoffs, as you would normally get with a yeah. film genre that's been successful. Yeah. Fascinating. One, one question on Yajimbo. Do you know if the samurai with no name is as amoral as Clint Eastwood's character? Is, is, was that something that came in from the Italian one? Because it's, it seems one no, thing I. Yes, because what I noticed about this film mm. is that the, the the protagonist is uniquely amoral. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know that the protagonist is amoral. I think he has a moral code. Yes. Yeah. I just don't. I just think it is slightly off kilter. So, I mean, the more the example would be the way that he um, helps Marisol escape. Yeah, yeah. He has a moral center. He's not. I mean, he's not a bad. He's not the baddie. He's no. a bit of an anti-hero, but he's not the baddie in this film. What he's doing is he's just he, he's not he, he's not someone you would necessarily look up to. He's just trying to make a few dollars, isn't he? You know? literally a fistful, it, yeah, that's the it, thing is he, he comes it, into it's town literally and a fistful of dollars. And he's sizing up. You know, or, he's told the town is in ruins and he's not going to clean it up. He's going to wring it out. That's his aim. That's his he, aim, isn't he? He, yeah. he, he, see, you know, he sees a massacre and he uses the, the corpses to fulfill his goals. He's quite happy to turn one family against another. He's quite happy to gun down four people to prove a point. All yeah. this kind of stuff is very different from, I mean, even look back to, the, again, the, the, the previous iterations is other cowboys, even when they're not lawmen, like say the, the, um, mm. the Magnificent Seven, they're occupying yeah. the place of lawmen. And I think I read they that, um, yeah. that they, they had to add in for the American release very views for TV. Uh, yeah, a, did. a pre-scene yeah. whereby um, justifying the, the, the man with the yeah. name was being was being offered like a pardon if he went and cleaned this town up. Yeah. So he was it was almost like he was doing it under cover of law. But the interesting they had to add that because it was so obviously not there in the original. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I think you know, he, I don't think he's amoral. I think he works to a particular moral code, and his moral code is, if I need to kill. Um, 10 people for a fistful of dollars that's what <laughs> i will do but yeah. but they're they're he, he kills baddies doesn't he right he I kills, so, yeah, kills yeah. ne'er-do-wells yeah, he, he's, okay, he he's, doesn't he, kill children or anything like that now again he silvanito he's able to befriend uh Pipero. Yeah. He, he does and then he does almost like befriend the weak um so it's not that he's just yeah he's not just throwing his weight around because i think if he was just that he'd be obnoxious and you'd hate him so well and you, i don't think i don't think you'd I don't think you'd connect with the film at all, right? Yeah. Because you know, Clint Eastwood in this film, I mean, um, for a, for a first major starring role, he's incredible in it. And here's the other thing as well, which is there's so much about this film and the the films that followed this, which boggles my mind. Because you think, I think half the time, I think all of the stuff that's in the film is intensely stylized and purposeful. But the reason why the man with no name has almost nothing to say. 
And the reason why a lot of these films are much more about the visual style over the, the script and the plotting, I suppose, to a certain extent, is because overdubbing in low budget Italian films was very expensive. Yeah. So they just they thought it'd be better not to have the actors saying too many words. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> yeah. Sure, no, that's not yeah. quite the same in the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly because Tuco has oh, about yeah. uh, has about six million words, right? <laughs> but it's a slightly different budget that they were yeah, into. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because actually, yeah, my, I, he spoke in, uh, more than I remember him speaking actually. When I because I, I saw yeah, a long time ago yeah. and thought he was incredibly laconic. He actually does talk a little bit. Um, so mm. it's more than I thought. Although it's interesting. Um, because another one of the first roles he got after this, where he wasn't a cowboy, was Where Eagles Dare, um, which oh, again okay. maybe a future weekend at Bernie's. But yeah. watching him in Where Eagles Dare now, you know, you've got Richard Burton, who is you know he's voicing all the plot and making all the <laughs> he's doing all the schemes <laughs> yeah, and he's yeah. getting in the middle of that. And literally all Cleves really does is kill people. He's generally yeah. walking up and killing Nazis, whether he's doing it you know with a, with a silenced pistol yeah, or a right. machine gun. He is simply there. Again, to just be the exterminator. And but it's in, very similar yeah. to the man with their name. In, in general, I think Eastwood's most successful films, he has been quite taciturn in them, hasn't he? He, play, mm. he plays that kind of, br- not brooding is maybe the wrong word, but he, yeah. he doesn't say more than he has to. Yeah, right? he, you have to stick there. Even, even up to kind of relatively modern films, I'm thinking of a film like Gran Torino. Yeah. Um, he, he, he plays... You know, he he plays someone in in himself, in inward-looking individual, doesn't he? You know, doesn't doesn't. I don't know. It's a, even un, the un, you know, unforgiven as well. It's that kind of role, very very taciturn, very laconic. Um, I mean, always any which way yeah. but loose, though. There, there is always any which way but loose. Yeah, that's and Firefox, okay. I guess as well. Um, so, so when you know when we, when we talk about this, film, I think this is why this this it wasn't an immediate explosion into the genre. Yeah. It took about six or seven years for this film. That's remarkable. Yeah, I know to be to be not just released, but then acknowledged in you know outside of Italy um, mm. and po- possibly Spain and, and, and parts of Germany as well to be really recognised as a film. As I say, for a few dollars more, and the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly were released before yeah. this was released in America. And the things you think, well, how is that possible in a trilogy? Well. It, they're not they're not sequential trilogies are they no, they're trilogies in theme yeah. aren't they yeah they're kind of spiritual trilogies yeah, yeah we, we come on to, we'll come on to the rest of the films but yeah just to linger on the speed of it maybe it's just a sign of the times um that the things that you know mm. if something's showing in italy you don't necessarily find out about it anywhere else yeah. for years because take for example you know when reservoir dogs came out that hit like a rocket and all of a sudden every studio was making making kind of that indie film. pop yeah, culture based right. gangster yeah. movies and that was the, the run for the next eight years of like everything was making those films um and it's it was this would be like you know reservoir dogs was made and then sometimes four years later everyone started picking up on it and watching it and it was like, yeah, yeah yeah it would be an incredibly slow process so it's interesting that this which is you know it's it's a very memorable subject people know about it you know it, it's oh yeah sure in, in, in you know, the 60s 70s it, it's saturated you get clint eastwood you know, made his name from it and and yeah i mean the the film became huge in terms of what they saw um, well I, I mean i i often wonder in the vantage point of um you know hindsight and looking back over things i wonder whether this film and, and i mean specifically a fistful of dollars is as well remembered maybe only because of for a few dollars more and more likely because of the good the bad and the ugly so and that's that's not to say that the film isn't very good yeah because i think it's an excellent film but it's not a perfect film and it has its flaws and it, the budget shows and i think yeah. it, it does look like a bit of a 
knockoff type film um, of you know trying to make some quick bucks because it, it, it there's you know there's all that cliche in there but it's cliche know now rather whereas the other two films and particularly the final film have genuinely gone into the canon of american cinema yes um, or hollywood cinema and this is kind of dragged along with it because it's part of the trilogy i wonder i mean it's it's the most digestible of the lot because it's only 90 minutes i mean yeah yeah, this this is a funny thing was a few a few dollars more is again a better it's kind of a better version of this um, it's, it's uh, yeah, kind of it is. Chasing it's chasing almost down. a remake, isn't it? Kind yeah. of. It's, it's like, not quite um, a remake, but yeah. But it's it's, it's like when they uh, they turned El Mariachi into Desperado or whatever. It's like they yeah. We we did yeah. the cheap version and we'll do it when we got yeah. the budget to do well, it. F- for me, for me, it's when they remade the Evil Dead with the Evil Dead Two. It's exactly yes. the same film. It's just got a bigger budget, better special effects, and it's more exciting. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that's a that's for a few dollars more. Yeah, but then Good, the Bad, the Ugly just goes to a different level. Um, well, it's if, 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 the Good, the Bad, the Ugly feels like a different different film it feels yeah. it, it honestly feels like it's the film where the spaghetti western has been accepted into the hollywood fold and leone here's the money do what you want with it yeah and he makes one of the greatest films ever made <laughs> basically in my view one of the greatest films ever made um and i don't think i don't think even for a few dollars more doesn't come close to the good the bad and the ugly oh no, no. um I mean, I personally prefer a fistful of dollars to to a, for a few dollars more. There's something a bit rawer about it. There's some I, like, I quite like the loose edges. I like the I, I like the um, I like the fact that it looks cheap, um, yeah. and it's people on the edge and working under you know you know probably not very good conditions. I quite like that about this. Whereas for a few dollars more, it's, it's very good. Don't get me wrong, but it, really, it is simply bounty hunters looking for El Nino. That's it. Yeah, and I, I I agree with you there, um, because yeah, I I prefer, it's it's funny how a few dollars more does tend to fall between the cracks of things, because um, mm. yeah, fistful of dollars it has that, um, it's I suppose it's like um, the way they were no one was expecting Raiders of the Lost Ark to be a um a, a massive success. Yeah. It was it was yeah. a cheap movie to knock out quickly to, to yeah. get Spielberg back on the ropes. Yeah, um, and the and, Temple of Doom isn't isn't as good in any way, shape, or form. It's it's okay, it's a fine film, isn't it? But they suddenly realised we got to make it good now. So it yeah, lost it, some of that kind of that funness. Yeah, they lost it, and they got it back a bit with the third one. But yeah, you're right. It it you're, it's exactly this. That's exactly the the, the 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 analogy that I think works for that. Yeah, it's the. I think for a few dollars more, it's the Temple of Doom. It's a good yeah. film. It's, a, it's 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 possibly a great film. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't quite live up to what you expect in that context. Even though that's the film that really made the good, the bad, and the ugly happen. Yeah. But it's, it, let, let's leave on it then. Let's go, let's go to uh, il, il Bueno, Il Bruto, Il Cavito. Um. Well, I suppose yeah. So um, I've not seen the good, the bad, and the ugly for for a few years. It's been actually yeah. well more than a few years. Probably it's been about it's been more than a decade since I last watched it. Mainly because. It's such a long film, oh, but yeah. also there's so much in it that um, it, it, I think it, it, you need to prepare yourself for it. It's just such a visual extravaganza. Yeah. And um, f- from the moment, from the from the first scene of the film, you know, even from the credits at the start. And I love the credits at the start. It's, it's, oh, it's, almost it's incredible, a, it, right? It's bookended so well. The beginning and the end. Yeah. It's, yeah. Because it, that that moment. Um, just to get to slow describe it is uh you see people walking towards along a, a, a you know it's the spurs walking down a high street and you think oh they're gonna have a shootout and you realize oh yeah. no they're on the same side they all make a sudden turn inwards to go to a, yeah. a house yeah. and you realize they're going to arrest someone and yeah. then there's just a couple of gunshots ring out and then um two comes flying Tuka out Tuka the flies window flies out you're yeah. snarling having fired his pistol yeah. got the better of all of them and it freeze frames it freeze frames the ugly and it has the the of course the um, um what's the uh any morricone's any morricone's 
it's, uh, and but that's what, like his character one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you go to, um, is it the bad next? It's I think Lee Van Cleef, yeah. Yes, Lee Van Cleef, yeah, is the bad. And, you know, I'd forgotten that when I when I watched this, when I watched The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly the other day, I was thinking, oh, I forgot, I forgot that the, I forgot that Lee Van Cleef's character is in this, but it's a different character. Yeah, <laughs> different yeah. Character. It's not the same character. It's, it's, it's a, it's, I mean, technically, the man with no name is three different characters as well. It's, there's yeah, no, he, well, he is. Yeah, he is. Yeah. They're not the same. He's Blondie in, in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. He's, he's Joe man, in... Yeah, he's man, Joe Manco. in... And man, yeah, Manco. So they're, they're three different yeah. archetypes. So, um, yeah, then you get then you get the bad, the Lee Van Cleef angel eyes, and then that freeze yeah. frames. But that's quite a long sequence as well. Because at that point, you're thinking, when's it going to freeze frame again? Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. Cause, you're cause, you're yeah, waiting like, for that moment, aren't you? Yeah, because The Ugly is actually the quickest one. And you think yeah, it's it the quickest one. No, they're very long introductions. Oh, they um, are. Yeah, it's but, about it's about 20, 25 minutes before the three are done, right? Yeah. But and it's, it's a brilliant setup, though. Yeah, and it's again, I will say it's um, Paulie Van Cleef. I think he's he's he's, I mean, he's very good in this. I mean, he's a very he he's is. very good bad. And again, he he looks he looks absolutely sinister. I remember the uh, when he all the way back to High Noon, he was told he couldn't be a hero because of his his appearance. He looked like an evil like a bad guy. Yeah. He does. <laughs> yeah, but I, I have to say, in, in for a few dollars more, he's not the bad guy. Yeah, you know, they're strange. on the same side. I kept waiting for for um, Cleef to shoot him because I thought he's yeah. clearly going to turn at some point. Yeah, and he doesn't, does he? He's quite respectful, yeah. which is which is odd. Yeah, you don't expect it. Um, and yeah, then fact, obviously it's more, the... it's more his story in a few dollars more. Um, it is. It is. Well, and and again, that's the odd thing as well, because A Fistful of Dollars is very much uh, the man with no names story, I think. For a few dollars more, I think, is Lee Van Cleef's story. And I think The Good, The Bad, The Ugly is Tuco's story. Absolutely Um, steals the show. He steals the show. And I think he's one of my favourite characters in all of cinema. And the reason why I love it, and it's it's our second Eli Wallach film as well, obviously, after um, The Magnificent Seven, who he plays a similar kind of role in that as well. Well, it's about 10 years later, isn't it? Um, Yeah, it's a fair bit later, but... He's you can really, see the transposition. Yeah, but you, def- you can definitely see the joint. But it, this is this is like um, what was the, what was the name in the uh, in the Maximum Seven? There's I can't two, um, remember. Yeah, but yeah, it's I like that remember. character ramped up to eleven. Yeah, yeah, it, was, it is. <laughs> but but what I love about his his um, representation of Tuco is in. So here's the thing: in in another film, that character could easily have been horsed buckles. It could have been a bit <laughs> embarrassing, a little bit ridiculous, but it's not. He, he plays it with a kind of frightened desperation, right? Yeah. He's always slightly on the edge. And he, he, I think he's the character in the end that you learn most about and you learn, you, you learn to love, right? Absolutely. He, yeah. He's the character. I want him to win. Yeah. And, and, he's and he kind of does, he kind of doesn't, he kind of doesn't at the end, right? <laughs> no, he, anyway, he, he gets, he, he gets, gets the his, money, but it's, he gets his fair share, but he, get, he doesn't, really. but he doesn't get, but the whole reason he's humiliated is he was he was if he got his full share and wasn't humiliated he would totally have killed Blondie and yeah, got the full share because he was still he was still chancing yeah, it. Uh, <laughs> Tuco is fantastic. He's he's constantly scrapping. He's always like just yeah he's got one boot off in, in the yeah. whole movie. He's just like and he can't yeah he's and he's also he's very competent very dangerous but he doesn't have that kind of that ice chill of Blondie. No he doesn't. Well you learn about his brother you learn about his yeah. his father and his mother you learn about him he's the character you learn about and he also has the greatest single line in all of all of cinema What's that when you gotta shoot shoot don't talk <laughs> someone is in the bath <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is incredible yeah. um but i mean so he, he is one of my favorite characters and he's in the film so therefore the film is good yeah. um 
you've got some really iconic scenes the trio scene the bridge explosion the, the, yeah. the you know the, the 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 civil war scenes with with the with the with the alcoholic drunken captain you yeah. know absolutely brilliant scenes you've got there's so I mean, it's, it's just so many it's you can't name them all the scene in the bath the scene where um you know uh um, Blondie takes Tuco out to the desert, and then the roles are reversed. Where yeah, he jumps yeah. off the train, and the the train, you know, the train um, breaks the the handcuffs, you know, to to the um, to to the soldier that, that Tuco is attached to. All of these all of these scenes are incredible, and there's so much going on in the film. It's it's not plot heavy. They're effectively just trying to find two hundred thousand um, dollars in gold on. That's all they're trying yeah. to find. Yeah. But it's the fact that some of them know something. And the other one knows something else. That's and because of thing. that, they yeah. can't kill each other. Yeah, that is the good thing because there's it's no, perfect. there's no. It's it's a very clever, simple plot. It's like it's not that they have agreed yeah. to work together and they'll they both know they would kill each other. The drop of a hat. They just they don't. They totally don't trust each other, but they know they have to work together. They but have I think to, it, don't yeah. they? They have can, to work together. But if anything sticks with you, it's that trio scene. That what feels like ten minutes of gun. It's it almost it, 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 Yeah, it bore, it borders on pastiche doesn't it because for me it's an example of leone so it's i mean having watched it again um yesterday the the thing that the thing that struck me about it was i'd forgotten how incredible the the music is in that scene as well hearts in your throat it's It's, 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 yeah it's absolutely incredible and you know it starts from um it starts from a, a a wide um, a kind of wide lens oh, and it yeah. gets progressively closer and closer progressively closer and closer then you're you know you're the sweat on the face then you're at yeah. the hands you're at the hip yeah. to, describe think... the, to describe the initiated this is the final scene when all three have gathered together and basically yeah. blonde has said the, 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 the location of the gold is on this stone we've got to yeah. do it the hard way and all three go in this big circle and it's whoever's gonna they're gonna outdraw each other in a three way. Yeah. But they but they know they know that if they all shoot each other, they're gonna none of them will get it. So two of them <laughs> have to shoot one of them. Yeah, and nobody trusts anybody. <laughs> uh, it's an absolutely brilliant scene. It's a brilliant scene. But the thing is, it's a brilliant scene, but I I don't think it's the best scene in the film. And and yeah. that's incredible. No, for me it's the it's the bridge scene. It's the it's the civil war enactment almost with the bridge scene. Um which I think is also incredible because it's the point at which Tuco and Blondie start to um, trust each other. It's misplaced trust, nevertheless, but they start <laughs> to trust each other in that context. So it's almost like a it's a bromance developing there as well. Um, oh, it's just, I mean, it's it's for me it's one of it's one of very few flawless films, I think, um, in, in some respect. And I started watching it yesterday about eight o'clock and I thought, oh, God, I'll probably watch an hour of it. And I might I might catch the rest of it at some point today, you know, in between meetings yeah. or something like that at work. <laughs> I, was, I was up at 11 watching it still. I couldn't. You know, it's just incredible. It's yeah. just incredible. Yeah. Um, and and that is really cemented. I mean, check these figures as well. Right. So um, a fistful of dollars was made for two hundred thousand dollars. And it made twenty million dollars. This was in the sixties. Okay. Okay. In the end, it made twenty million dollars. For a few dollars more, was made for six hundred thousand dollars and made twenty-five million dollars. And the good, the bad, and the ugly was made for one point two million dollars and made thirty-nine million dollars. So, if you were to take those figures now, the trilogy cost twenty-nine million dollars to make. Yeah. Yep. And it made one point two billion. Wow. That's the scale of the shift and the, the 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 impact of these films and Leone, Sergio Leone as well. So that, that's yeah. Avengers Endgame money. 
Well, it is, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, that's for the three films, I should, you know, yeah, yeah. fair enough. But still, nevertheless, um, uh, you know, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly itself made $600 million in today's money. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, none of them were nominated for an Oscar. None of them, you know, none of them, because they were all made in Italy and they were shown in Italy. It's bad. <laughs> well, well, they weren't all, I should say. A Fistful of Dollars was quite literally a B-movie, make-a-quick-buck filmmaking. That's all it was, yeah, pure and yeah. simple. But you know what? I love a good B-movie. I love a, I love a movie which is all about, um, all about style, all about um, flipping the expectations um, and, and, you know, keeping it simple. So really, oh, yeah. really good. Uh, so to circle back then onto the... Um... Onto the, the style again, we, we can do the style of Fistful of Dollars, yeah, but generally, yeah. I mean, we've, you mentioned the nihilism. That's one thing that, that struck me in terms of the whole style of it. Yeah, I mean, that's entire the entire well, like that. Yeah, absolutely. This, and this is, I mean, this falls into, you know, this is Peckinpah's bread and butter. We'll come yeah, to it. Is, it? Well, again, yeah. and again, this is uh, definitely a fore- foreshadowing of Peckinpah as well. Yeah. But yeah, yeah absolutely. But yeah, the absolutely. That, that there could be so much. I thought like even casual because like it's the funny thing is um the you know the 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 occasional deaths that happen in um in um the ninth seven apart from the yeah. great big shootout with the, the army at the end yeah. um it's someone really has to goad him into shooting like we you know the uh the James um I've got this name going James Coburn Coburn thank you sorry James <laughs> Coburn I've got you twice um <laughs> I just want to say James Coburn Esquire uh, James... <laughs> That scene when he kills someone, he really has to be goaded into it. It's like yeah, he go, does, go, go, yeah. go. Finally, yeah. after five minutes, they all kill. We just kill him. Um, These guys here, just, it's yeah, just you know, life is cheap, isn't it? Exactly, life is cheap, and yeah, even even you know the entire Baxters are wiped out, down to the matriarch who curses them. <laughs> on basically, the, the suspicion they take of their woman, um, and they just and they it's not they don't really do it because they want Marisol back. No, it's because they, they do it because it's Ramon just, takes it's because it's because they think they're now powerful enough to do it. Um, yeah, exactly. So you're say, right. There's the, the nihilism in this film is, I think, uh, it, it's and I think th- this is why this could only probably be made outside of America in the yeah. sense that the nihilism is focused on money. It's money. Money is the thing, right? Yeah. People do things simply because of money. That's it. Whereas in those, in, in the other westerns we've seen, it's about honor. It's about um, for the future generations. What, future, what, we, what, yeah, exactly. what we've seen in other western movies is yeah. there's always a moment when they go through hardships, and someone say, maybe a hundred years from now, people yeah, will live exactly. upon peaceful land. There's none yeah. of that. No, it's just money, and yeah. that's why life is cheap. Because in you know, life is cheap because it's worth just a fistful of dollars. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I would say the Baxter gang, I'm amazed they stood stalemate so long because they're spectacularly incompetent. Like the Rockers <laughs> yeah. are just kicking ass all over. <laughs> yeah, they are, yeah. I'm assuming the four people that um, that Joe killed at the start were the brains of the operation. Like, <laughs> and removing them took out a lot because the Baxters yeah. are no match yeah. for the Rockers. I, I, I prefer the Baxters' sartorial elegance, but I'd have to be on the Rojo side to and, you know, survive more than five minutes. <laughs> But again, we uh, see uh, when I first saw the Rojos, I thought, okay, Don Miguel, you know, the actor playing him, he's he's, yeah. he's quite a good stenatorian figure. Esteban yeah. thing, I thought, well, you know, where, where's the, where's the juice in the Rojos? And it is Ramon. We mentioned yeah. it. And he, turn, when he off, turns up, you know, you open think, shirt, sweat. Yeah. I mean, every everyone in this film's look. What, what I like about the casting of the film is that everyone looks like they've done a day's toiling on a farm in the sun, right? This is <laughs> yeah. they all look sweaty and horrible. And there's grime on them, yeah. There's grime on them, yeah. Because that's how it would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. When as I say, um 
Volanti, the, who, who play who, who he plays, um, is a very famous Italian actor, um, and was you know he's been if you know your Italian cinema, has been a lot of the big Italian films. Um, so, um, uh, Le Circle Rouge is actually a French film, but Le Circle Rouge is a, is a big one that he was in, and um, uh, he, he, many many films. He was actually intended to be cast as Tuco. In no, sorry, no, not Tuco as uh, the Lee Van Cleef character in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. But okay. he had very strong socialist politics. He's been in lots of kind of very, very pro communist films as well, and socialist films. And the American um, studios wouldn't allow him to be in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. So there you go. So he's in the first two, but he's not in the last one. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah. What else to think about them? Um... Okay, either Fistful of Dollars or, again, well, in general, look, the other genre of it. You know, there is no... John Wayne is nowhere to be seen. Is he? <laughs> <laughs> He's nowhere to be seen in this, in, in, in any of these films. Or almost, almost ever again in, in the same way. I mean, it's not to say that John Wayne doesn't make films in the 60s and 70s, right? But I think after this, the Western just changed. It just... It, it was completely different. To the extent that the, the only time you would get after this, I think a more traditional Western was something that was considered revisionist again, right? You know, um, going back to those kind of more, more, I wouldn't say heartwarming Westerns, because none of them are heartwarming. They all have an element of nihilism about them because of the environment that they're in and because of the situation. Yeah. But, but you know, much more about the kind of the American dream and all this kind of stuff. You'd ne- you're, I don't think you'll see that again. You don't see that again after the 60s um, in the Hollywood system, necessarily, they're always pastiches or they're always revisionist versions of that. Yeah, well, but I think we, I think we we we're going to find that as we go into say the nineties, two thousands, and find these traditional westerns, that they are referencing something that never really existed. Well, I mean, yeah, I think I I, I kind of mentioned this at the start was I don't think yeah did, did does does the western exist? Does the does this western as we think it exists has it ever existed? I don't. Because I don't think we've seen it, have we? Right. No. I don't think we have properly. Um, we've, we, you know, what we have seen are some absolutely cracking westerns. Yeah. All of which have their own, all of which bring their own thing to the genre. Yeah. But I think it's all of those things together that you believe in your head you've seen in a film, <laughs> right? But you haven't. You've seen them in a number of films, in a number of different yeah. films, different different tropes, different cliches in different films, and you bring them all together into this one film that doesn't exist. It is possible right. that the, the, the lesser westerns, the ones that aren't classics, are, yeah, are, that's tread tread familiar yeah. paths. So mm. it might be that if we, if we said, you know, we want to see that that single standout gunfight, or it's been done, it just hasn't been done in a classic film because it's it's a yeah. cliche. Yeah, you're right. It's yeah. possible, is yeah. that, and it's possible again on television, which again not not as uh, creatively interesting back then was just going through the motions there, things like yeah. And obviously, the, yeah, you're right because you know in. But the birth of the television, I guess, the Western was, you know, possibly the biggest genre, wasn't it? And so you would, you were in those, in those kind of serialization type uh, programs, you, you you might have to fit cliches in more yeah. specifically um, to, to get that done. Yeah, but that that isn't to say that any of the films we've seen have been, I mean, they've all been really good. You know, I've, I've enjoyed every film we've watched, um, but I suppose... <sighs> What I'm trying to explain what I, I think what I mean here. The thing about I think the thing about 
a fistful of dollars specifically, because it, it really did trigger a change, was that what this film wasn't trying to be was a reaction to those yes westerns it was just it it wasn't it wasn't countercultural, or it wasn't a pastiche or it wasn't a satire or it wasn't it wasn't even a homage it was just it's its own thing yeah and it it, it was it this is what i mean by it being ignorant and i don't mean that negative i just mean it didn't it all of those all of those things about the western didn't even enter into its mind it was just made as it was made yes (laughs) and and that was it's so weird it's at the close of a genre and did its own thing with it yeah, yeah it, that's exactly what it did. Yeah, it just did what it wanted, yeah. right? And and I think actually in some ways... So it took the close of a genre, the plot it, of another genre, and did its own yeah, thing. and just did its own thing. And so I think in some respects that that when when films are really good is when they're not when they're not worrying too much about what they should or shouldn't be. Yes, very. They much. just are. Yeah, the the most the best ones are the ones. That the best ones. Good. The thing, the ones that change things are almost outside of genre, aren't they? They're outside of kind of cultural because they, they come out of nowhere they yeah. come out of nowhere they you know they come out of nowhere they hit you in the head they slap you around the face and they go this is what cinema is going to be like now whether you like it or not get used to it and that's what a fistful of dollars does <laughs> it's, it's incredible it's not even i don't even know it's a where is it western it's just a film it's just it's just its own genre yes it's a western of course it is <laughs> so there we go but interestingly yeah would i mean if you were just to throw together a Western now, it would probably look a lot more like a fistful of dollars than it yeah, would it like would, stage yeah. than the searchers. Um, um, it would, I think, well, I think, I think, it, I think it, it just would. I think, you I said, think it would. If you ask, if you ask someone, you know, just, you know, sketch me a Western, tell me, you know, t- tell me off the top of your head what a yeah, Western was. Yeah. You'd probably say a town with bad guys in it, a stranger comes into it, starts gunning them down, double cross. Yeah. Well, you, you much say, less than you would. You I, know, I think, a, I think you're right. As, yeah. Yeah. But, as opposed um, to Farmsteads is captured by Apache, which leads to a long chase and a, mm-hmm. and yenderings about the, the destiny of the West. It depends. But I think it depends what parts of the films you're looking at. So I, I think, and I appreciate this isn't, this isn't, modern cinema now but a film like unforgiven i know it's the early 90s a while away right but nevertheless it's more modern than any of these or any of the other films that we've watched i think that film takes some of the more some of the earlier westerns in its style and its approach um but marries it with the violence um of the spaghetti western yeah. And so all the, although the storytelling is of an earlier age, the sensibility is imbued with that spaghetti Western style. And I don't I, I think once that once that once Pandora's box has been opened, you can't you can't close it again. So you can you can tell the same stories, but they are ultra violent and more nihilistic. But they're the same stories Whereas was pre pre for uh, pre for a fistful of dollars. You, I don't think you could make the vi- the violence wouldn't have happened because it, it wouldn't have happened in the American system. And once it had gone out there, once it got out there, that's it. It's done. It's a bit like, um, you know, it's a bit like the Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, the Tarantino-esque type filmmaking. As soon as that kind of cut up approach to filmmaking is shown in the way that he's done it, that fast editing, the kind of gangster. I just and, and the ultra violence in it or Scorsese in, in, in the 80s and 90s. I think it's it's done then. That's it. You can tell the same stories, but they're told in a in an extreme way yeah right um so you can't you can't go 
I don't you can't go back I suppose and you know all of these films are, are you know their sentiments to the times that they're made as well I guess to a large extent aren't they I mean it's it's, it's funny that you don't really get many westerns made now so you know you you, you could argue that a western that would be made yeah. now would be like the spaghetti western but you don't get that many made well I was thinking that I mean one of the reasons why um this came to mind to do it this year was because there was a bit of a, a flurry in westerns mm. being made and I think when we keep because I think that's been said a lot over the years is you don't westerns you know it, westerns can't be regenerated um you don't get many westerns I think you probably get um a proportional amount of westerns yeah you just don't get an insane amount that you used to get in the 50s and 60s so yeah. it almost that that was the outlier it's like you get now a, a, a correct amount of westerns in a, yeah, you in might you might of, get you might get 10 or 15 westerns a year yeah i mean I'd, right. I'd, I'd say you know maybe 30 years time you'll get someone saying you don't get many superhero movies like you used to it's like <laughs> yeah. you, you get two or three a year and that's the, yeah. the right yeah. amount you should get yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. So it's, 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 it's true. Funny. Yeah, you probably. Yeah, you're right there. Actually, um, I'm, I'm I'm trying to think of some kind of more recent western. So you, I don't know th- things what, like yeah. the, pa- the power of the dog. Sorry, say that yeah. again. Well, sorry, what, um, no spoilers, that, that could be on our no. list. Um, but one, no, one, no, one, no. yeah, one point about um, again its its impact on this. This was was itself remade in the uh, the late nineties um, with with Bruce Willis called Last Man Standing. That was a pro. Ah. So it was a it was a prohibition era but it was a, a almost shot for shot remake of um the fistful of dollars yeah it was it was a copy of a copy um, yeah, yeah. but it, it was exactly that it was the same beats were held except it was with you know model t's and automatic yeah. weapons and rather yeah, yeah, yeah. Fist, oh, I see. But, and i remember i actually saw that i think i saw that before i saw a fistful of dollars yeah. so when i came to fist i was like this is awfully familiar oh, okay if i ever <laughs> saw you jimbo i'd be like this is a complete <laughs> Well, you know, no ideas are ever new. I'm sure that Yojimbo is based on a story, isn't it? You know, no ideas it's got to come new, from like somewhere. A photocopy is a photocopy. Yeah, yeah like, it is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Um, I, it's hard to know what else to say about it, really, other than yeah. I, I, I can't think. I personally can't think of a film um, or, or a trilogy or a series of films that have had such a seismic impact on a genre, yeah, really. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe, um, the star, maybe Star Wars, in 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 that kind of science I, fiction. I would say not because what that ended up with was making a lot of poor science fiction films. They didn't. It didn't start the mm. the big wave of science fiction movies. I mean, that was the 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 the, the observation they had was people saw Star Wars didn't understand what made it popular thought they did and tried yeah. to copy it so yeah, it's yeah, whereas okay. this this yeah. did kind of i mean this i know it was a lot of it was Sergio Leone um but it wasn't just him no uh, absolutely so, not no. so right, this this right. did kick off its own thing i mean yeah well maybe 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 the um maybe the Indiana Jones trilogy then the first three of those films i think they they did they had a shift they took things but again that, no i would i would no, say no i, I agree I, actually put, not then no if i had to pin it on something i would say jaws i'd say jaws turning yeah, okay. a b movie into yeah, an into an, into an yeah the, the film a b a b movie plot into a tentpole film that everyone yeah. goes to see i think it, from jaws you can get it's, it's spielberg but from jaws yeah, you can yeah. get et you can get you can, um, yeah, indiana right. jones and, and you, you can, can get, get star you wars get superhero films then now you get from, superman from you can yeah. get batman yeah. you can get all that and so that was that's probably whether it was given a name, yeah, good but the, call. Yeah, the B call. movie as, yeah. as, a, as a blockbuster yeah. as well. Maybe you could, you could probably say maybe something like. Well, maybe the Matrix in the nineties as well might be an example. Yes, yeah. Science fiction a bit. They, had, I think you not know, just science fiction. I think from the Matrix you get born. You get you yeah, get that you kind do. of that, yeah. that 
yeah it's a good point actually yeah it's a good point so there aren't many of them though are there (laughs) no we remember (laughs) them because we remember them yeah yeah um and and it's interesting you you can you can look um you can follow their evolutionary trail back which is interesting um yeah yeah that's right you can can't you well i mean you know um there aren't many of them and uh i need to watch jaws again now because i haven't (laughs) seen that for years and that's a great film before we do wrap up there's one thing i do want to say i know that we've spoken about the films quite a lot um we possibly haven't spoken about sergio leone a lot in that um i think i think quentin tarantino not you know i was gonna say he's not my uh, you know i'm not a i'm not a quentin tarantino um fanboy but he won't care anyway so it doesn't matter <laughs> but my point is is that he, he thinks the good the bad and the ugly is the greatest directed film of all time I t- you know i've not seen every single film i'd be hard pushed to find a better directed film and i think i think leone's vision in the three films is incredible the 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 juxtaposition of the the expanse and the close-up the 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 always moving camera um really you know his his vision and style is is all over these films and i think if these were directed by someone else they wouldn't be what they are right they wouldn't they just wouldn't be um so you know he he's he's a he's a behemoth and you know he didn't make many films um but pretty much most of the films he made were incredible yeah, and again, the good, the bad, the ugly—a three-hour movie about three cowboys looking for a bag of gold. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it takes, <laughs> but it takes in, but you know the the yeah, you're right. But the um, the audacity of it is that about three quarters of the way in that film, there's a huge civil war reenactment. <laughs> yes. You know, or, almost as a side plot. Which again, I suppose this is what? this is the thing too. Is is. Um, yeah, for the first that's crazy. Um, yeah. The idea, the idea is they'll they'll blow up a bridge because it's more convenient to them. This yeah. is again the nihilism. They they blow up a whole yeah, bridge exactly. just to divert the war. Yeah, uh, so, so so that confed so the Confederates aren't where the where the graveyard where the yeah. cemetery is. I, that's I all they do lo- it for. I love the audacity as well. Yeah, you're right there. But let's put it this way: if a Western capital W lives in the shadow of the Civil War, but it doesn't feature the Civil War, it's it's. Yeah, you're you're returning back from the Civil War, or yeah. you're you've yeah, got a you're, you're going through it. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. it's normally it's most westerns either you know they will talk about it back east, or they'll they'll talk or they'll talk about how they served yeah. or whatever. Yeah. The idea that you would feature the Civil War is yeah. This is not, in it. It's not traditionally you know a U.S. American western, and maybe it's the fact that you know it, because it's an Italian film yeah. again, you can do it with that kind of disregard. It's not it's not you, sacred. Yeah, you uh, can. Yeah. You can just yeah. you just throw yeah, it in saying this would be a great thing to put in there, wouldn't it? Let's have the Civil War too, and you can throw it in there. And maybe you know the idea of the countryside exploding into civil war is. I guess more comfortable or more familiar to an Italian filmmaker um, in, in the sixties yeah. than it is to an American yeah. in the nineteen sixties, because to them it's it's a legend. Whereas here yeah, it's like it is, that happened it? yeah. twenty years ago, didn't it? Yeah, ex- yeah um, that's a good point. Actually. And you could just you could yeah. just throw it all into the mixer and, and just and just work with it. So it's it's yeah, it's it's, yeah. A, good, it's a good point. I read, I read somewhere that you know Leone wanted the wanted wanted it to be wanted the civil war to be in the background of the film as it was going through, as it were, just to show the futility of it. In the sense that in the end the film's about these three characters but all of these people are slaughtered throughout the film and there's hardship and there are some really poignant moments in the good the bad and the ugly as well when the camera swoops into you know um hospitals and and, and recovery areas and there's a scene where the carriage comes through and there's all the the the, the dead soldiers in it and bill carson is in there as well and all this kind yeah, of stuff yeah. so it's really good but in the end it's about three guys trying to find some gold that's the futility of war you've all this massive expanse and it's three individuals finding some gold that is it yeah 
brilliant. I do actually. I do enjoy one of our first tastes of the war is when Tuco clocks um, the Confederate soldiers yeah, marching yeah, towards, yeah. and he's yelling, "Oh, hail General yeah. Lee! Yippee the Confederacy!" And turns out the Union soldiers who've got dusty jackets yeah. look like a. It's not until they walk up real close, and then. Yeah. Uh, but you yeah. know what I like about that scene? It's not just the way it looks, and it's not just it's the pay. It's not just the payoff. Yeah. It that really is symptomatic of the character of Tuco as well. He he's. He's, he's an idiot. Oh, he's so irritating. But it's funny. It is. Isn't it? Just, yeah. But also, you know, it could have paid off. It's it's like, that's it. That's very Tuco. It was yeah, a 50 is, 50 yeah. chance that it could have really worked out well for them. And he was prepared to roll the dice on that. And that's, that is kind of how it did Tuco. Oh, he's superb. Well, there we go. I think we've, uh, well, we've 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 done the the dollars trilogy, haven't we? I think our, our chambers are empty, and uh, now we're all there. Uh, <laughs> we better stop for a quick reload and a quick dust off um, before we go into a circle of three somehow. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds, and, and, that sounds like a nineteen nineties sitcom. <laughs> circle of three, doesn't it? it? Does, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like a it's a British knockoff of Friends <laughs> with half the cast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the budget will be lower, wouldn't it? Yeah. So let's get, <laughs> we'll take a break and then we'll come back, give some scores to uh, maybe one, maybe three of the films. Um, and then we'll learn what we'll be doing uh, in next week as we, we head into the, uh, we half on, on the, the homeward stretch then. Welcome back as we spin our empty chambers for the final time, uh, desperately fumbling to get that last cartridge into the two of the rounds before we uh, face down on each other and pull the trigger. So let's give some scores. Shall we score Fistful of Dollars first and then maybe, I mean, I think yeah. we, we can probably guess what the, the, the final score for Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is, but Fistful of Dollars, James, would you like to go first and give it how many floating crabby heads out of five? Um, yeah, so uh, a Fistful of Dollars is a great film. Um, it's... It's rough around the edges and um, it, it wears its I think it wears its um, cheapness on its sleeve. But 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 for what it is, um, I just I think it's rip roaring entertainment. Um, and for what it um, for what it birthed, um, I think, it you know, it needs to go down in the annals of history. I'm going to give it four disembodied crombie heads because I, I think, you know, it's 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 definitely part of the canon and it's just really enjoyable yeah that's fair and for myself i'm gonna go for as well um mm. it's 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 a lean you know 90 minutes it's you know the plot is good without getting confusing yeah. the characters are strong the sequences are good um and yeah it, it's if, if you were just going to watch it as a kind of a historical thing like what the start of all this is worth watching but it's worth watching by itself it comes very well recommended so a four with a strong recommend for me very good, very good. What about for a few dollars more? Do you want to go first this time? A few dollars more. <laughs> it's it's. it's or, should, the, or, or instead of few, should we do the should we do the trilogy then? Let's do, let's do, let's do a few dollars more okay. and the good right. likely, and yeah. let's do it in 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 Western style. Just the number real fast. I'm giving yeah. it three, three. A few dollars more, three. Yeah. What are you giving um, it? Shoot. Three. Three. I think so. It's <laughs> it's almost better than a fistful of dollars, but it's it's not set unique enough. It's it, it's it's. It's more it's one, invested. Yeah. In it. it's, it's one of those. It's one of those films where the the sets look better yeah. and the film looks better, and it's got Klaus Kinski in it, yeah. um, which is always good. But it it it's, it loses a bit of heart. It's that difficult second album. Yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> good, the bad, and the ugly. Shoot. Six. No, no, <laughs> five. 
five as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It's Stone Cold Stone classic. Cold classic. I don't think it can be bettered um, in many ways. Uh, I, I would say if you were to name my, you know, if someone said to me, right, three favorite films, this would, this would be one of them. This would just trip off the tongue. It'd be one of them. It's an incredible film with, I'm going to say my favorite character in cinema in Tuco <laughs> with my favorite line in cinema. <laughs> and again, the uh, the Maroni um, soundtrack is one of my go-to soundtracks. I have that yeah. on, on regular repeat because it's so powerful. Well, and the thing is, when you when you hear it in the in the whole film, it's not one trick either, is it? It's not just the motif. No, no. It, it's so clever, and it's it, there are elements of you know cla- Western classical music in there as well, aren't there? It's just an absolutely brilliant. It's just the whole thing is brilliant. I got goosebumps thinking about yeah. it. I only saw it yesterday. Yeah. I also forgot to mention rotoscoping is used a lot in the credits. And yeah, I, very much, is, I, yes. I love rotoscoping. Oh, I love rotoscoping so as well. Yeah, yeah it does. <laughs> so there we are, a four, three and a five. So that yeah. makes up many, many dollars. Uh, strongly recommended. Good midway uh, heft for the uh, the series. But what, I wonder, will we be watching next month? Well, we're into the as 70s. We move, we're we? into the 70s already. We're into the 70s. And, and it's know, July. 70s, it's July, yeah. The July, July is the 70s. The 70s isn't well known it's not that it's not well known the 70s is obviously well known it's a decade <laughs> many people remember the 70s what i mean is is i don't think it's considered a high watermark in in the western is it the 70s um it's a very stylized western game from the 70s here we are and we are watching another eastwood film yeah the outlaw josie wales indeed well 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 very good indeed what does the 70s bring how does how does how does eastwood cope post spaghetti western Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, what, what, what's in the 70s? And uh, and will we get to see Wales? I mean, that's the reason I picked it. <laughs> I assume it's just the outlaw Josie, comma, Wales. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, he's an outlaw, and, and most people, most Welsh people are outlaws, aren't they? How very dare you. So with that, as we, uh, we retire to the main street to settle this like men, uh, we shall bid you goodbye. And uh, until next time, wish you a very happy and a very healthy weekend at Crombies. Good evening, all. Oh, bloody pecking par. <laughs> but he's like Straw Dogs as well. That's a horror film. It's like it's named. It's like a. It's named as a thriller. It's not a thriller. It's a bloody horror film. Oh, I know. Bloody pecking par. I, I I know from Straw Dogs. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't like Straw Dogs, and yeah. certainly don't. If you ever find yourself in a situation where there's an opportunity to watch Straw Dogs. With the good lady her indoors. I don't know what would have happened. Like you, you've walked into the cinema, it's the wrong film, and the doors have locked. <laughs> you, you, make sure that you have some kind of tool that can get you out of that cinema. <laughs> you should put that. You, in the you've gone to the print. You've gone to the King Charles Cinema now in in mm. in the West End um, to watch. Uh, I don't know. Uh, a Sing revival. Along the sound of music as they. Yeah, a revival of the sound of music. <laughs> they're also showing a revival of Peckinpah's oeuvre. <laughs> at the same time and you've gone into the wrong screen oh get the hell out of there get the hell out <laughs>